Welcome to Dig This, a podcast about using archaeology, heritage, and business to do some good in this world. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amanda. Join us in a guest or two as we reevaluate and decolonize our work, our relationships, and our values. We're recording from the unceded territory of the Shimshan Nation, the Kitsilis people in Terrace, BC and also recording from Bowser, BC. In the beautiful unceded territory of the Qualicum First Nation. So in this podcast, one of the things that we've been exploring is the meaning that's within archaeology and why it matters. And one thing that we're going to talk about today is how our kids were all mums in this episode and how our kids also bring additional meaning to what we do. And so we're gonna be talking with Candace Wilson again, who is the environment manager with Heisla Nation, and she's joined us previously. And we're going to be reflecting upon what this aspect in our life, the aspect of being moms, having kids, brings to our work and brings to our work with heritage more specifically. So, I am coming to you from the Haisa traditional territory. I am the environment manager for Haisa Nation Council. I've been in my role for approximately four years. And prior to that, I was the environment biologist for Haisa Nation Council. Uh, within my role, I work with industry in terms of um, having our values heard within their projects. Um, but I'm also a student. Um, I'm taking a graduate certificate in policy and science of climate change. And I am a mother of one eight-year-old daughter who is pretty amazing. Okay, my daughter is um, eight years old. Her name is Zayla. Um, and she is the driving force in what I do day to day. Um, my, you know, with work that comes the income um, and I'm doing my best to provide um, everything for her. Um, I'm co-parenting. Um, me and her dad have split and we've been apart for about six years. So more than half her life, we've been going back and forth. And so, um, you know, she's my motivation behind getting further education. And I hope one day that she uh, will remember you know, talking about me talking about school, plus working, um, and know that I am doing my best to instill within her that drive for further education, and just to be successful in life. So I, Jenny and I both, um, for some reason, we ended up with two boys, and they're roughly the same age, um, a little bit different in age, but Likely similar, very similar. And I was uh, working in archaeology and starting out in this business, um, starting up Clienza before my boys were born. So it was kind of in the early stages of the company that uh, both Jenny and I became mothers. So we have that, that bond together and that in common. And I think that's one of our values um, in the company is, is being not only women in business, but also mothers. Yeah, so I also have two boys, <laughs> Jasper, who is five, 
and Eddie, who is three. So I had my kid. Yeah, our kids are kind of offset in age. So we've had, you know, not the last six of nine years have been about having babies and, and having really young babies. And I think like, I'm trying to think if there was like a tide line, like a shift, a line in the sand that happened before having kids and then after having kids in terms of archaeological practice. And I think in a logistical sense, I, I, you know, I initially, I really, I felt like I still wanted to be that cool archaeology mom who like packed everything up and brought the kids into the field. And I certainly did that with Jasper when he was little and to a lesser extent with Eddie, cause it got so difficult. And so from a logistical standpoint, having kids definitely changed what like my work day looks like. It means that I'm not doing as much field work. It means I'm not traveling as much. Um, and it, it kind of changed those aspects in terms of like deeper meaning that kids have brought to my work. I, I do consider I do consider that because archaeology has such potential to be really, really good or really, really bad, and it has a really bad history, I do worry that my kids um, are going to, I, I wonder if being an archaeologist is going to be a bad word in the future, you know, like if if my kids are going to be in school and they're like, oh, what did your mom, what does your mom do? And they're like, she's an archeologist. And everyone's like, oh my God, haven't those, haven't they been outlawed? Do they still wear pith helmets? <laughs> I want the, I want the story to be different. I want them to actually not define me just as an archeologist, but kind of as a good, as a good citizen and a good person and archaeology is kind of just one way that I'm doing that. And I also hope that they can, you know, see the work that we're doing is contributing to making archaeology not a bad word. Um, it's always been a cool word, right? Like people, anytime I tell folks I'm an archaeologist, uh, they're like, oh, that's so cool. I, I, want it, I want it to be an archaeologist. I love dinosaurs. It's not dinosaurs <laughs> at all. <laughs> but um, I, I feel like it's really at a make or break point right now. And I wonder if I'm feeling that archaeology is at a make or break point right now because of kids. But it really has this like potential to be this really positive changing force in Canada. And I hope it doesn't go the other way, not just for Canada and our practice, but also for, for my kids, because I don't want them to associate our work with, with the bad side that could be and has been. I think Jenny, your kids probably look up to you as like the coolest mom ever being an archeology span mom. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting though, is the way my work is now, um, they think archeology span is done at a desk <laughs> and they think it ends at four o'clock. Because mm -hmm. in terms of logistics, I try like Tony and I, Tony's my husband and, and, and like a fully participating partner and very much a feminist and very involved with the kids. I couldn't do half the things I do if I didn't have Tony's support. But we were joking the other night because we think our kids don't know that we work because we have made a decision to kind of you know, set our, the, the, the heartbeat of our day, the rhythm to our day around their life. And so, you know, I pick them up from daycare at a certain time. I don't do work when they're home. I wait until they're in bed. It means kind of longer days, but 
you know, between 4.30 and 7.30, for example, that's go time with the family. And I very rarely let work come in on that because of them. But I think that they don't even know what I actually do. I just go to my office and sit at my desk. And sometimes they come up and like color with me and things like that. So I, I don't know what they actually think archaeology is. But you've brought your boys, you've actually brought your boys like into the field. Like we have really cool pictures yeah. of Jackson like sitting in an evaluative unit, right? Yeah, I've had a few opportunities. It's harder and harder these days to bring your kids to work. But I have had a few opportunities and um, that's been wonderful. And because Jackson is nine, he's full of questions and he's a sponge. So everything I say to him, he remembers. He, he rarely forgets anything. So he's learning and I try to be a role model for him. I try to teach him about archaeology, the good that we are doing and the amazing history that this province we call British Columbia has. Uh, First Nations history goes back thousands of years and a lot of the times kids aren't really taught that in school. And so we have that opportunity to give them additional information that they might not learn. It's a great, it's, it's great. It's a great time to be a mom. Both of my boys have attended the Qualicum First Nation Child Care Center. And so they've been learning Kalkaminam and traditional life ways as part of their day-to-day daycare. So there's like an elder in residence. And I totally get that that is such a privileged position uh, to be in. And we're really grateful for that daycare and the program. But what's interesting is and I, and I think these questions would come up anyway, but I think they're coming from daycare because they're being spoken about. But Jasper's very interested in like the olden days and the ancient times. And so he'll ask questions and it's actually given me an opportunity to kind of like simplify these really big ideas. So he'll ask questions and I and I try to give him like a grown-up answer, but in kid language. So like, why does it matter? How long ago was the olden days? Did people have this? Did people have that? Why do people not have that anymore? Um, where, where do artifacts go? Um, and he's worried, you know, he's worried about all of those things. And he's quite an earnest kiddo. So he he cares deeply about a lot of things, but it's kind of added this new perspective that has allowed me to like get down to basics with archaeology, because when I'm rattling around in my own head all the time, I'm getting, you know, highly theoretical and quite critical and um, all about like improving pa- practice and policy. But at the end of the day, he's really exhibiting what got me into archaeology in the first place. And it's been really refreshing to have him do that and have him remind me that it's really just this connection with these olden times, right? It's, this really, it's really a connection with just people who were here before and, and why are we doing the things that we're doing today? And how does that relate to like our shared human history? So I think he's enabled us this like kind of, fresher, more basic perspective. Eddie, on the other hand, doesn't give a shit about archaeology. <laughs> if it doesn't well, have a dump truck or a dragon. Not yet, but he, he probably will. And actually, archaeology will. does have dump trucks in it. So that's going to be my entry point is I'm going to say, <laughs> no, mummy watches a lot of dump trucks. And he's going to be True. like, what? Coolest. So because you guys are in a different field, from my perspective, before I had a child, um, the only interaction she ever had was from the womb. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was working for an environmental consulting company and we had a contract to 
uh, manage water quality on some road development. And it was in an area where there was uh, very little cell phone reception. I was maybe about four or five months pregnant, so I wasn't really showing. And I locked the keys in the truck, the work truck. And the person, and there were site services where we could call them on the radio and be like, hey, can you come help me out? So I had to wait and wait and wait. And during the wait, I was like, I think it was getting near lunchtime. So I was like, um, so I'm pregnant and my food is in the truck. And, and I really need pregnant. it now or I will tear your face off. Yes. <laughs> so the guy that I was, my coworker, he was like, what, you're pregnant? You shouldn't be out here. So it's like that fragile fragility aspect of pregnancy. And it's like, I'm not fragile. I'm not going to break. Like I'm growing a human. That's all. <laughs> I got that too when I was doing field work when I was pregnant. I even had a client who forbid me, once he found out, he forbid me from going out on the site. And it was just, it was ridiculous because it was literally like two minute walk from the truck on flat ground. There was no reason why I couldn't be out there. So yeah, I don't know why some people have this notion that pregnant women are fragile and can't do field work. Other than they need a lot of food. A lot of food. Yeah, I yeah. remember packing large amounts of food anytime I went anywhere. I will say I was working, I can't remember the name. I can't remember the site, but I remember when I was pregnant and I was going out, it was, it was to an archaeological site that had burials. And so I had said in our tailgate meeting, like, I'm, I'm pregnant, everything's cool. But I remember the elder that was with us was really concerned. And that was an eye-opening moment for me because it was actually concern for my baby and also for the ancestors who would be at the site. And so we actually decided that I wouldn't go to the site um, just to protect the baby and also protect the ancestors. But it wasn't about like my physical abilities or anything like that. It was just like mm -hmm. a, a cautionary guidance. And I, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, absolutely. Happy, happy to listen to that. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent. Dr. Gabor Mate, he's doing, oh, uh, yeah. he's done a video called Wisdom of Trauma. And uh, yesterday was the kickoff and I was listening in on his talk. It was a live event. And so he talked about how things should be from a societal point of view in terms of trauma. And that was the one thing he mentioned was we need a trauma-informed society where it begins when the baby is in the womb and prenatal care shouldn't be just the physical. It should be the emotional and uh, spiritual as well because that impacts how the baby develops. If you're going through trauma while you're carrying a baby, that's going to go through to the baby. Mm -hmm. So that's my yeah. little tangent. Um, it was so interesting. You guys should check it out. Um, I think it's available online and he's just so knowledgeable and he puts it in a way that everybody will understand. I love it. I want to check it out. What is it like managing all the responsibility at work and at home throughout the last year and a half? They've all been meshed together because we're working from home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um during the peak of covid the kid was at home i was at home and it was a lot to take in it was so hard to get through you know at the beginning i was all about doing her education at home but kids are so different 
with their teacher than they are with you. And so it's just hard to educate your own child. So <laughs> I just gave up partway through, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, you know what? If I wanted to be a teacher, I would have gone to be a teacher. I'm not a teacher. So, and that's what I would start sessions off with Zayla. I'm like, I'm not a teacher, but we're going to try this. <laughs> Tell me about it. I've been homeschooling for a year now, and this is our last week of school of actual curriculum so Jackson has like a ton of assignments that we have to hand in on Friday and then he's done and I'm hoping he can go back to school in September like normal school he calls it normal school <laughs> no offense mom this is not normal <laughs> it's not mom sits in her office all day <laughs> on the computer oh. Thank God for Netflix. I was really actually during COVID, I was a little afraid there because uh, we had a power outage. I was like, no, no Netflix. How are we going to get anything done? And I wasn't even homeschooling. So from my experience with that, there was three months where everything was shut down. The daycare was shut down, um, but we were still working. And Amanda and I were in like full emergency mode, just trying to do some features planning for the company and keep keep everyone going which was kind of a, a wild and, and scary time. But yeah, Tony and I just ended up like working in shifts, but it was really just about childcare at that point because our kids are so young that they weren't actually in classes yet. Like Jasper's just finishing up kindergarten right now. So he wasn't actually in the school system at that point. And then our daycare developed this incredible process where we would go on a Monday and they would leave boxes out for the week with activities for every day which was amazing. I can't say enough good stuff about our daycare. So that was kind of a change, like that kind of changed everything for us. But as soon as that daycare opened in June or July, I think it was July, end of June, we were like <laughs> right at the door, like, here we go, take the kids. You know, I know of, I know folks, Candace, yourself included, who are either fully or partially solo parenting. And I don't, quite know how it works because I was maxed out and like my husband was also home and very hands-on. For myself, I actually had Zayla's father staying with us because... Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Zayla had heart surgery when she was eight months old. And so I don't know, I have no clue how, if she were to get this virus, how it would impact her. Um, I have a feeling she would be a high-risk case that where we would potentially have to go to Vancouver to manage. And so I essentially gave him an ultimatum. Like if you want to protect her and you want, to, we, we still continue on this 50, 50 parenting. Um, you should probably just come stay here because that was at the height of like the cases I think in town. And so it was a fear-based decision, <laughs> um, but um, it was for the benefit of my daughter. And so we managed in terms of having extra space with the trailer outside, my space inside. And so Zayla was used to having us both around for a little while. Uh, we're back to normal where he's got his own place. I've got my own space back and we're getting back into track. But having us both here, he was supposed to be educating her. I was doing my full-time job from home. That aspect is 50% of the time I get to do whatever I want on the day she's with her dad. And then the days that we're together, you know, I prioritize spending time with family. She's developing 
a great relationship with my mom and my sister because they're just right across the street. So yeah, we spend a lot of family time together. Yeah, you do what you have to do to get through it, right? And to make it work. Yeah. And nobody knew how long it was going to go on for as well. Exactly. Especially in the early days of 2020, it was pretty scary. So how is it like, I feel like like now post COVID, we're all in leadership roles. And I think that one of the trappings or characteristics of a leadership role is it just, it doesn't turn off at like four o'clock, right? We have to be a bit of visionaries and we have to kind of be thinking about things and, you know, kind of higher level. And that just doesn't turn off. It usually comes to me like at three in the morning, uh, it seems. So like, how, how, how are you guys kind of managing being in these leadership roles, having to be, having to be visionaries, having to come up with ideas outside of the box. And at the same time, you know, having these small humans, that don't know and probably don't care about a lot of those things right now? Yeah, that's a good question, Jenny. I think for myself, I found that in order to be a good leader, I'm not necessarily a visionary, but (laughs) at least being a good leader, I had to really take care of myself throughout the pandemic, throughout the last year has been really hard. And I realized that if I didn't take care of myself, I couldn't take care of my kids properly and I wouldn't be able to show up for work as a leader. And so I've been really focusing a lot on trying to get my daily exercise, uh, riding my bike or going for regular walks, eating healthy, drinking in moderation. (laughs) Uh, I do like my wine. Yeah, trying to do that in moderation. And I remember in the early months of the pandemic, I was drinking way too much. It was just like a coping mechanism. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention. <laughs> Bring it up. amounts of wine really helped a whole lot <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> during the pandemic and during um, Trump's re-election, I think I was yeah. drinking a lot of wine at that time too. <laughs> just watching what was happening across the border was like, what... So yeah, I think just like taking care of myself became very apparent that I needed to do that. No one else was going to take care of me. What about you, Candice? For myself, it was the points where I was on the verge of a breakdown (laughs) because of the quarantine and um, not getting out very much. For myself, it was just needing to get out and exercise, leveling out those endorphins and after like before I was in before the run I'd be meltdown mode after the run I'm like oh that's what it was I just needed (laughs) exercise and it's so hard to get outside when it's raining constantly we had like really wet year last year and a, a wet spring too so it's hard to get motivated when you're inside and it's nice and warm and dry and it's raining outside I was thinking as you guys were talking like that self-care, I think, I think that's also really important to show kids, right? So I try and like when I'm going for a run, you know, if, if it's not during the school day, for example, if it's on the weekend, I'll put the kids on their bikes and they can, you know, come with me and ride their bikes on the trail. But yeah, I mean, I find that the stress of the job isn't necessarily going to go away, right? Like I think that when we're trying to change things, that's part of what we sign up for. And I feel like it's something I'm coming to terms with lately. And I feel like the stress of COVID has brought all that into sharp focus. 
and I've kind of made it largely through COVID. And I've been talking with Amanda about this lately. It just seems like I'm at like my limit right about now. And what I find is when I'm reaching that limit, that one of the best things um, that I recommend for people to do and, and moms and women and people in general is to ask for help and like be honest about that. So for example, I've been talking with Amanda about like, oh, this is you know, really under my skin. This is really upsetting me or I'm having a really hard time getting past this thing or um, this thing in my personal life is happening, which is impacting my work life. And I think it's okay to remove that barrier. We talk about this work-life balance and I think they're never in balance, but they're always connected. And I think that, um, you know, this idea that things can shut off completely and, and that work stresses don't impact home life or shouldn't impact home life and home life stresses shouldn't impact work life. I think that's garbage because I think that it's just, it's all connected and it's all related to our health and it's all related to the work that we're doing. So that's something that I've been struggling with as well, because that's not the dynamic we, we hear about in business coming up. Like women have had to fight for this position and this, you know, equity in the workplace. And I, I think there's lots more things to fight for that aren't just related to women, but about being honest uh, about those impacts. And because women's role has previously been designated to the home life and we're, you know, air quotes, new to business, it's like, we can't always, we can't also bring in that historical context. But the reality is I think that they're all connected. Wow. I have long answers. <laughs> it's so true though, Jenny. And uh, I was just thinking about that Facebook group that I started up recently women in field work, which um, Candice joined. Thank you, Candice, for being part of our group. <laughs> um, one of the ladies posted in that group just the other day about this um, gender bias in the workplace. And she mentioned that, that she, like, she's an archaeologist and so is her partner at the time. They were both working for the same company and the company was giving more field hours to her partner than her because she was the, the caregiver of the children. So they just automatically assumed that if there was field work to be done, it should be given to the, the male of the household. And I thought that was really interesting, gender bias that, that's happening in the workplace, and you don't necessarily see that it's happening. Candace, have you experienced that gender bias in your workplace? Yeah, so the gender bias is really not... Well, in like my consulting aspect of my career, it did seem like there were a lot of males doing like the field work portion. Whereas now, like in leadership in our organization, we do have a lot of female program managers, which is nice. And having that background in terms of leading a department within our organization. Well, the one thing that stands out most in mind for me um, in terms of balancing work and doing archaeology is when I spent over a year over in Haida Gwaii when my youngest son Malone was just a baby and I had to go over and do field work. It was a project that we had committed to but the the Haida didn't didn't want the original archaeologist to work on it. Uh, they had some issues there so I had to do the field work. There was no one else in the company who could field direct on Haida Gwaii. I had to make it work and my 
So I had to bring my baby with me because I was a, a breastfeeding mom. I was providing for him his nourishment and I couldn't just leave him in daycare back home. So he like had to come with me and I had to find childcare over on Haida Gwaii, which was difficult. Uh, I eventually did, but on the first field shift, I had to fly there um, with my youngest and actually took him to the project site because it was just an initial site visit and talk with the contractors. So I had him with me carrying him on my front, wearing all my field gear and my PPE and everything. And here I am carrying a baby, which uh, was super weird. Then I had my mom driving the car, getting on the ferry, and she's got my oldest son with her. And they're driving over to Haida Gwaii, which takes close to a day to get there. And then we met up later that evening and my mom came and stayed for the week and she got to experience Haida Gwaii, which was really cool. Then the kids got to hang out with her. So there was a challenge in, with that and just doing field work and traveling to a location and having childcare and then bringing all of the stuff that kids require especially when you have a young baby, there's, there's car seats, there's things like play pens that you have to bring to contain them in, um, all their toys, books, all that stuff. And then as that project went on, I did end up finding some childcare there in Haida Gwaii and so kept traveling back and forth. And I remember at one point sitting in the car, I had a rental car and I had my baby in the back seat strapped in and then I could sit, sit down and put on my makeup in the mirror, the rear view mirror of the car. <laughs> um, but there, I just had no help, like, especially in the mornings, getting gear in and out of the car and getting myself ready. And I just remember that moment sitting there going, geez, <laughs> here I am in the car putting on my makeup. But um, it was an adventure and it was a time I will never forget. But I wish that I wish that I would have had um, more help. I think that would have been would have made things easier. It's definitely a challenge. And I think if that had been, you know, it, it, let's say you had worked for a larger company or that same situation had happened, not in a company that you're an owner, it could have been a really career limiting situation. Because like if having to if you had to choose between caring for your kids or doing your job, I, I would offer, we were all ultimately going to choose our kids, um, <laughs> right? And so, you know, I think that other women who aren't in the same position that we are might have that as a challenge and that becomes a really career limiting moment in their lives. Like, and I think, you know, we're looking back at on now as a very career defining moment for you and as a very challenging moment for you but I don't know that it, it was limiting in the way it might've been for other folks. Yeah, you're right, Jenny. Um, if it had been somebody else uh, working for a, a larger company, that mom would have had to make the decision to continue to breastfeed their child or stop breastfeeding and take the job. They would have to make that decision. And that's a really hard one. When you talk about support, Amanda, as an Indigenous person, uh, we have really large extended families. For myself, as soon as Zayla was born, we had everyone around us that would be able to help. And one of the biggest things I 
wanted to do right from the get-go was to make her comfortable around my family members. So I've had so many people that are able to look after her, even from when she was a newborn till, till now, that she's comfortable going to. And so daycare was a bit of a, a change for her, having different um, caretakers. But support has always been an aspect of our life that I'm so appreciative of through work and school. Yeah, we just have a large extended family that can do this type of stuff for us. That's awesome. And I, I imagine that's like part of the Heisla traditional way of helping to look after everyone. Yes. I'm jealous. <laughs> that makes total, total sense. <laughs> I was, I was also thinking that something that I've had, I've had to do is um, like advocate for myself and my kids in a way that no one else will, even, you know, to my partner or to clients. And I'll give some examples. So um, I've mentioned Tony a number of times, uh, my husband, who's really super, but I've also had to like set boundaries. I'm like, I, I can't do this thing. I can't, I can't be making dinner and also picking up the kids and, you know, talking to the teacher after school about parent teacher interviews and getting groceries and doing all these things and then still doing my job. And he's been very, very responsive, but it sounds like an easy conversation to have, but I find that those conversations can be really, really hard to have with a partner as well, like to set that up. Cause he's also got a career and he's got things that he's doing. He's also caring for the kids and he's maxed as well. And I find with clients and, you know, potential partners and collaborators, I've had to set that as well. And I'm, I'm thinking about, I, I was recently asked to be on the board of a local museum here on Vancouver Island. And I, I met with the executive director, I had a really great conversation. It was sounding really good. They wanted to have an archeologist on board to help them uh, incorporate, you know, indigenous heritage into the museum and heritage, like widening their heritage values. And then she said, okay, and we meet on Thursdays at 5.30. And I was like, I cannot do Thursdays at 5.30. And she's like, yeah, it's so weird because I talked to someone else and they can't do that either. And I said, why couldn't they? She goes, because that's dinner time for the kids. And I said, bingo, like the kids, like they need to be fed every night. I need to feed them. And so I you know, can't just stockpile them the day before. And it's not that Tony couldn't do that. He, he absolutely could, but that's our time, like our collective time. He protects that time. I protect that time. And I had to pass being on the board, which was fine it's still a challenge. And I have to, you know, women are still, women in privileged leadership positions are still missing out on opportunities because we're prioritizing families. And I see increasingly that dads are getting, are, are doing that as well and getting pushback as well. I see that with Tony. And I can think of another time where I was invited to be on a podcast as a guest and it was a panel. So there was a number of folks, a number of guests to be organized and the podcast host, he was having a real challenge working around the fact that uh, I wasn't doing it on the weekend because that was family time. And then he was, um, you know, a little bit bemoaning the fact that then, the, you know, he, he was just willing to bypass having a mom on there if it meant kind of trying to schedule around family time. And it was the, the podcast topic was women in archaeology. 
And by not being flexible with family schedules, he was completely eliminating a whole aspect of being a woman in archaeology. Not all women in archaeology have kids, but many do. And so by eliminating that, it was alienating a whole population of archaeologists right away, simply because he wasn't initially willing to find a schedule that worked, but we ended up making it work and, and that was great, but it was back and forth, back and forth, trying to explain this. And I found myself resenting him and that I was having to do all the labor to explain this to him, explain to him why what he was doing was horrible and just perpetuating the, the dominance of, you know, uh, patriarchal viewpoints in archaeology. And that's one of our values at Clienza too, is family. And it, it's always been there from the beginning is how important family and family time is. And we respect that for ourselves and for everyone that works with us. Because we have a lot of men on, in the company that are fathers as well, and they have their family time. Yeah, it's a really important aspect of the work that we do is that we respect the work time and then we respect our family time. It's worth it though, right? Like, I mean, there's nothing like it coming home at the end of the day and um, having my boys be so excited to see me. And I, we only, you know, we're coming into summertime and I think about, we only have so many summers with them before they don't want to hang out with us, right? Jasper's five. He's probably going to not want to hang out with me when he's like 12, 13. So I have eight summers with him <laughs> um, before that changes. Eddie will probably be in prison by the time he's seven. So I have even fewer summers with Eddie and I really am trying to make the most out of all of them, you know? And, and so I think that the juggling is worth it. I think one of the reasons the juggling is worth it is that all aspects of my life have this additional level of meaning. And I think that's ultimately what I'm advocating for. So in archaeology, I want archaeology to be meaningful. I want my work to be positively impactful. I want our work to make a difference in how we interpret and steward the past. And then my home life, which was already very meaningful, has an additional meaning uh, with kids. And then I'm also doing it because my story is part of their story, right? That's what history teaches us. It's about the people that come before us. And so how I'm living my life is ultimately part of my kids' origin story. And I feel this obligation to them as well to be part of a really healthy, good origin story. So I think it's worth it. It's totally worth it. And our kids are an integral part of, of our future. And I think it's going to be really challenging for them, for, for Zayla and for um, Jasper and Eddie and Jackson and Malone and all the kids out there. It's their, their generation that's going to have to try to fix all the environmental wrongs that have happened through the course of our generation and generations before us. And also like the systemic racism that's happening. They have no idea <laughs> about all of that, but they're going to learn about it. I think it's going to be a really challenging time for them. In my line of work. So the work I do day in, day out is to benefit almost 1900 Heisla members now. And so these industrial relationships we have is going towards that economic reconciliation I spoke about previously. It's essentially building her future through the work that we're doing today. Amazing. Beautiful. As, as Eddie says, it's a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I really think we should all get together, get the kids together and go camping somewhere. Oh my God. They have no uh, friends who are girls. There's just, seems to be just like a roving band of boys in Bowser <laughs> and like no girls. And so it would be really great if they could meet a girl. <laughs> Let's plan it. We have to, um, as soon as COVID's over, can plan something. It sounds really fun. I actually have two weeks planned in Penticton. Because we live in the north, I have to go away to find sun. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than, because last year we couldn't jump on a plane to go to Mexico or anything. We drove to Chase, BC last year and camped out with um, Amanda and her daughters. And so now our kids have that relationship and now they get together virtually on kids messenger they chat it up and they play games together it's great (laughs) nice and so what i'm hoping for my kids for their takeaway from watching me and all their aunties that i work with it's auntie amanda to my kids and lots of aunties. I genuinely just want them to be good people who recognize that they have a responsibility to leave things better than they inherit them. And that doesn't just have to be an archaeology. I don't even know that I would encourage them to be archaeologists (laughs) at all. Um, But they know they have to be something. And I told them, I don't care what you are, but you must be something in life. And so I think that that should be their takeaway is they can't just be good. I want them to be good, but they have to be good for something. And so I think that that's a quote from Thoreau. Someone else said that, but it's always been kind of a a touch point for me. Yes, it's important to be a good person, but you must have a cause. You must be good for something. And so that would be what I hope that they take away from watching me. I hope for the same for my daughter. Like I know when she gets older, she'll understand why I was away for work or why I was away for school. A couple nights ago, she was like, how much longer do you have for school? And that spoke volumes to me that, you know, she values the time that we have. And because I had to step away for a couple of hours to do an assignment, it impacted her. But at the same time, I hope she just has those memories. And then that drives her to do her best in what she does as well. Yeah, I remember at one point, Candace, you told me that Zayla wanted to be a scientist when she grows up. I was like, what do you want to do when you get older? And she said, I want to do science, just like you. And then the other heartbreaking part about it, she was like, I want daddy to do science and mommy to do science and I'll do science. And I was like, oh, that's so good. For me, my boys are both me too, and I am not. And so I'm trying hard to learn more about the Métis culture and to get them more involved. It's been really tough during COVID because most of the Métis programs were cancelled. They were all cancelled except for any virtual programs that they've been offering. But yeah, I hope that my boys can learn more about their history and connect that to their lives and to their future. Aww. And as we were speaking, Zayla had to come in to say, where's my iPad? (laughs) You might hear me in the background saying, I don't know. (laughs) Perfect. Very apropos. (laughs) I think the one aspect I didn't bring into this conversation is 
I am a business owner as well. I make uh, woven wraps for baby wearing. And the drive behind that is to leave a legacy behind for my daughter as well. So I can see that in you guys and you wanting to leave a legacy for your children and your business. We should promote your baby wraps on here. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> yes, we will post a link. Yeah. We like to support women in business. Support Candace and, and her baby wraps are beautiful. I've seen them and the fabrics that you choose are really nice. Uh, you did give me information about your business on a card. And I gave that, I remember giving it to Travis when he was having his first baby, Travis, who, who works with us. And I think he did buy one from you. And he said that his wife just loved it. Yes. It's so soft and I'm actually getting a few more colors. It's exciting. Yeah, we'll definitely post a, a link to where people can buy a baby wrap from you. Thanks. Well, thanks, ladies. This was really fun. I really enjoyed it, talking with you about being moms and being in business and working together. And I think it's just one aspect of being women in business. And it's an important aspect, but of course, not all women are moms or want to be moms. And so it's just one aspect. So it's something we're going to be talking about more and more. Um, and we'll be covering it in future podcasts as well. And if there's any moms out there or dads who want to let us know how they've managed to make things work in their own way, we'd love to hear from them. So definitely reach out and let us know. I just want to thank you guys for letting me be a part of the conversation. Oh my God, Candace, we're your number one fans. We always want to chat with you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and for your time. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Yay. We'll definitely have to go camping together and we'll definitely have to do this again. Sounds great. Maybe you can join Jenny and I for one of our mini-sodes where we're cooking dinner and drinking wine. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even finish the magic sentence time. and I'm down. <laughs> You're like, stop talking. I'm into it already. It involves food and wine and chatting. Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Dig This. If you have any questions or there's something you'd like us to dig into, reach out online. You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dig This Pod. If you dig us, leave us a review and tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>